this is, I just realized this morning, the last episode of my 20s. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize it was a significant birthday. I knew it was your birthday coming up, but I didn't know it was a super significant one, of course. It's my 30th. You're going to be 30. I'm going to be 30. Jesus. Even it's all down my out. 20s. I, I was going to ask, you're, you're a very old man. Yeah, 33 um, recently. Yeah. What, what's waiting for me? Back pain. Have that. Uh, I've had that since 21. Go on. Don't say great hair. I've had that since 19. <laughs> constipation. Confusion. I've never pooped. Never had a, a clear thought. Go on. Uh, fear of the morning. Got all that. <laughs> Mon- Mondays. Uh, and then eventually like a bit of gentle sen- sen- senility that like, oh, just you know. Takes the edge off. Yeah, takes the edge off. You're like, eh, whatever. So, so what? is, kind is, of, is senility kind of like having being two drinks in? Always being two drinks in. It's a good way of putting it, yeah. yeah. That's not bad. No wonder two, you, you look two so Two GNTs. That's not bad. Yeah, but I, I add an extra four just to, you know, proper mellow out. Do you, uh, did you feel weird turning 30? Uh, no, I don't remember thinking it was all that. Yeah. I guess 40, 40 is the real big one. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Make like, it, I mean, if you, make it, if you make it that far. <laughs> Wait, what are you planning for me? A, a hell of a 40th. <laughs> 39th. Yeah. I thought, um, it's because of COVID ruined all chances and opportunities for birthday celebrations. I thought that maybe I should try and do something three months after my birthday so I could celebrate being 33 and a turd. <laughs> so you may get an invitation to an online party in January. Oh, uh, and only Irish people go. So everyone says 33 and a turd. 33 and a turd. Yeah. Christ. Irish people are not good with TH sounds. No, not the hard way. Yeah, I was thinking back on my 20s this morning because I had that realisation that, oh I can talk to Steve about turning 30 and like I feel like I've been robbed of the last year of my 20s yeah because of Covid you know there's not a lot happening I can't do much for my birthday um, but like because I think have... part of me was planning is like oh I can just cram in a bunch of like stuff like what like what, I... what what are you what could you not have done that you won't be able to do in your 30s when things stop being mad um you're still going to be angsty. You're still not going to be able to afford a house. You're still going to have to pay loads of rent. You're still going to have to work for the man. Oh, God. But you can also still go to bars, hang out with your friends and play Pokemon. You're not going to stop playing Pokemon. Can I keep playing Pokemon? Yeah, no, they let you. They let you. They, they don't They don't stop you. You're not allowed to play Digimon, though. Oh, hey, Steve. Digimon can go suck a dick. Was that the cold open? <laughs> That's the cold open. <laughs> I've nothing against Digimon. Digimon, digital monsters, Digimon. Da, 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 da. I didn't know that was still in my head. <laughs> the best part is the next part, though. What's that? Change. Same digital world. How is that in my head? You see, oh I was just—I was literally just talking about this before we started recording. I—I I, I started playing the Game of Thrones online board game recently, which is like the Game of Thrones board game. If you haven't played it or heard of it, is one of the most intense, crazy, complicated strategy games ever invented by madmen. Yeah. But 
it took years of constantly playing it every week for me, Keen, and a bunch of other mates to finally like have gotten all the rules in our head. Of course, mm-hmm. we were wrong. We found out with the digital one, those mm-hmm. things we got wrong. But then like I was looking at another board game I have that I haven't played in years. And I was like, I've, I haven't played in just a few weeks. I don't mm-hmm. remember how to play it at all. But after going back to Game of Thrones, after two years of not playing it, I knew all the rules completely fully. So like, why are those pathways so strong yeah. and forever? Whereas oh, the ones... I'll never know. Like, I don't know if I talked about this in the podcast. Maybe I did years ago. But at some period, some point, um, like the nostalgia neural pathways got crossed in my brain. And um, like a bunch of childhood shows, their theme songs merged together in my head. And one day I found myself singing them. Go, go, Power Rangers. Heroes in a half shell. Pokemon. (laughs) Well, that just sums up since we're like talking about milestones and stuff. That was your tens. Yeah, and my twenties, and <laughs> be my thirties. <laughs> I intended to follow through. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's someone else's birthday this year. Who's who's that? Well, a lot of people is what you should have said. <laughs> oh, he hasn't had his coffee yet. <laughs> I have. I had an extra large one. I got up relatively early to go get one. I have no excuse aside from you know my stupidity. <laughs> it is a massive organization's milestone birthday you can yeah. say yeah you can probably tell by the episode title the un happy birthday the un happy birthday on 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 hey on you okay on you okay on you okay un you okay on oh uh before we get to that though um we do what is what i'm yeah sure um as uh, you can tell by our elaborate explanations yeah what on politics is insert definition here and then i can just i can just add something in and post okay cool (laughs) moving on (laughs) yeah the the, my smoking hot news take uh again just this is a relatively new segment we replaced our new section with a new section of the show where i just talk about my interpretation of things that are going on in the world and uh but a little bit different today steve you got like a panic message for me this (laughs) this morning (laughs) Do I have where, to look at the news? Whereas basically, yeah, because okay. So full disclosure, we we're just hot off the back of our um, two mental health episodes, and if you listen to those, you'll have heard that I've been having a bit of a an anxious period recently. And um, uh, my therapist, who who is wonderful and who I've been who's I've had great progress from from seeing, um, Doctor Richard re- Nygaard, <laughs> recommended that. Uh, I take a break from the news or I, I I kind of slow down my consumption a little bit and distance myself from it. Because Steve, news, you think about news a couple of generations ago and you listen to like a radio broadcast at a certain time or you get a newspaper and you read it in the morning and it's kind of like, it's a moment, it's the news for that day or for that moment is kind of crystallized in time for that moment and you experience mm. it and then you go on with your day. Mm. But then at some point, the idea of, ever updating live news took over in the form of like, you know, news stations that are catered exclusively to just churning out news. But also uh, my particular vice, um, websites that you can just constantly refresh. And every major news website now has like this live function where stories are constantly updating like a Twitter feed. And for the last few weeks, I I found myself opening up the Guardian, opening up the live feeds for different things and just refreshing it like a couple, like I might go back two or three times an hour and just refresh what's going on. 
Um, and it turns out that wasn't a particularly healthy way of processing what's going on in the world right now. You don't have a chance to think about it. You don't have a chance to think about it before you're hit with another, especially now when there's a lot of dour stuff happening. Um, and you know, if articles are trying to cater to, you know, capturing your, your attention in that moment, so you don't go to a different news site or whatever, and it's, you know, the algorithm surfaces maybe more, um, salacious or incendiary or, you know, dour things, uh, they rise to the top. And that was my diet for the past few weeks. And it kind of overwhelmed me a little bit. So there's a long way of saying that my hot take, uh, this for this episode is maybe, you don't have to be thinking about hot takes. Maybe you can take a break from the news a little bit. Don't obviously bury your head in the sand about what's going on in the world, but don't all either like, you know, don't internalize all of the strife in the world as well and keep feeling yeah. like you, you need to doom scroll the news and keep going back and refreshing stuff. Maybe give yourself a little pause. What if you reinstate the like timed segmented news that used to be there? So like, you know, people used to watch the six o'clock RTE news. I presume yeah. some people still do, like old people. But yeah. you could like, okay, I'm just going to look at news for half an hour in a day and then I'll try my best to not go back to the websites and eternally click. Or like you mentioned it before, not follow things in your social media feeds that will spark your news anxiety. Mm. Yeah, and so that that was that was an early tactic where I purged all of my socials for with like from news content. So yeah. I keep news on the news sites and I keep socials for social things. It didn't work because I just, went, I just doubled sites. down on the fucking news sites. That's <laughs> what I did. So, yeah. um, but you it's part get, of that. It's part of that. Like it's it's like your it's like your food diet. You need to balance and figure out what's a healthy diet for you. Yeah. And it's the same with media consumption. There's a balance to be had. Absolutely. Like, for, for how you process these things. So that the, yeah, my, to your point, um, my therapist did recommend, oh, you know, do it maybe in the morning, um, before you go on a walk or something where you can kind of give yourself a little bit of a healthy break from it. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think that's what I'll be, I'll be switching over to, but for a few days now, I'm just giving myself a little break, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's doing me good. It's doing me some good. So maybe, Maybe if you're feeling similar, you, you would also benefit from a break or compartmentalizing when you experience news. So, yeah. Or just be so dour and unhopeful like me that it just washes over you. You're just like a rock <laughs> in the ocean. Try and stick slowly on to me, being but... eroded. Yeah. <laughs> slowly, you're an avalanche. Being... I'm slow erosion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got barnacles of stuff clinging <laughs> to you I don't care so what no. <laughs> pretty Teenage, chill life teenagers jump off me in the summertime it's all yeah it all adds up <laughs> let's move on to talk about head stuff let's talk about head stuff what are those crazy kids over at head stuff doing these days those crazy kids are us because we are part of Ireland's largest podcast network Head Stuff um, includes a huge plethora of shows covering everything from movies to food to politics to explainers to all those things mm-hmm. and fun and, and conversational entertainment shows like Dubland. Love Dubland. Dubland, big, big show. It's got uh, Suzanne and PJ. They are two fantastic broadcasters, comedians, all around hilarious personalities they have been credited for starting the show yonks ago that's a super super smash hit they talk i guess it's not really about dublin but it's called no. dublin yeah <laughs> they're dubs they're both dubs yeah that they're helps. both dubs 
I think. I'm pretty sure Suzanne's a dub. I know that PJ's from Dunleary. Anyway, and they just kind of yammer on about their own personal stuff, what they find funny, general Irish and international stories, and it has been described as incredibly addictive. I yeah. am jealous of the amount of attention they get for their great show. I mean, yeah, they're probably probably the biggest show in the network. Definitely the biggest show on our network. Yeah, so it's a good Pro- place if you want to go get into head stuff and experience what the network has to offer. That's a good jumping off point. Well, I suppose if you're listening to this, this is your jumping off point, but it's another point <laughs> from which you jump. You jump off from this point onto their point and you linger there and then you'll jump off again. Exactly. Just keep jumping. Like, that, like jumping. the rocks in the ocean in the summer. Yeah, so, exactly. Here's the trailer. What is Dublin? We have to explain what Dublin is. The Dublin podcast is an eternally pregnant woman. Um, I've been pregnant three times. Yeah, but you've been pregnant since I met you. Right, okay. Hanging out with a neurotic middle-aged toddler Mm -hmm. and the way that those two people from very opposing sides of the... um, World, see the see the world around them. Is that it? I Is think that that's a good it. explanation. Well, of that's it? a very good explanation. Uh, you can listen on Spotify. You can listen on iTunes. You can listen on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Show your Dublin podcast. Up your ear holes. Up your So you you pointed out that um, again, like you often do, Steve, that I'm not special, <laughs> and uh, it's it's not just my birthday coming up, but it's also, I guess the birthday of an equally important institution. I just call myself an institution. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the institutionalization of Richie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Insert mental humor, mental health joke here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we actually missed it. It's the UN's birthday. It was in October. uh, early. No, was it September? It was in September. We missed it. Um, 75. And if you add that, if you know your history... Reverse that back to what year was that? 1945. Something else happened then. This is the thing. Whenever I hear about something happening in 1945, you straight away have to assume, right, okay, the war. This is a result of the war ending, right? Well, I mean, like, yeah. It's the United all Nations. anyone was doing that year. <laughs> Ooh, pretty much. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they probably it, wouldn't it was have been a much world time. War. It was a world war. It was the big one. Yeah. And they basically set up the UN in the aftermath of that to try and stop another one from happening and there hasn't right. been a world war three that we know I noticed of that that we know, know of that we you implying there's a underground thing or mole men extraterrestrial thing the mole men versus the gerbil people <laughs> versus the extraterrestrials <laughs> and we're caught in the middle <laughs> so i thought feck it let's mark the un's birthday and richie's birthday by Yay. Doing an episode, ask, an explainer by, episode. By asking, Steve, what am UN? A big international organization that strives towards world peace and general human betterment. That's their that's their whole shtiz. That's their that's, manifesto. That's yeah, their, I mean, they probably have a better actual motto. But that's the one I yeah. just gave them. That's there's probably, you go into the headquarters and there's a big scroll or there's like a, a man just singing it from a podium i don't know how these things work that's why we're having a explainer show <laughs> i wish it was like that that'd be much better it's the, it's the digimon guy <laughs> you win um did you, you mention you want to talk about like before we get into into the subject the highlights about what we're going to talk about yeah so like i thought maybe to help keep it straight in people's heads when they're milling around or maybe jumping around coming back to it it would be good to like go into what we're going to explain so like we're going to talk about an overview of what it does who mm-hmm. runs it, which is important. Mm-hmm. The also, moment. why continue the moment, the, why it was formed, 
the mole men um, <laughs> for the advancement and betterment of mole men society continue what is the security council I'm, I'm sure that has popped up in people's news feeds and general knowledge over the last couple of years mm-hmm. also i want to talk about the De- universal declaration of human rights which has a roosevelt connection Whoop. Whoop. and then we'll also get into the general how do you do of whether it is worth how much it costs does it actually matter and do we think it's going to make it to its 100th birthday Ooh. lots of exciting stuff to talk about so i guess start with the overview yeah go with the overview like you said yeah when i was trying to think about how to describe this i remember like growing up in the 90s and i presume you were that generation just minus three like Mm. do you remember like a lot of cultural references were to world peace yeah there was a lot of um like it's, it was a like, cliche. It was a it was cliche, still, like, you know, like pageants, you know, yeah, like exactly. Miss, Miss America, Miss World or something. Like it was almost like a cliche trope that you yes. would talk about world peace. Also, if you had the option to like make a wish, if anyone was talking about wishes. That was in the sense like I'd wish for world peace. Lisa um, wishes for world peace and then that allows Kang and Kodos to come down and take us over. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. There was like a a kind of aspirational narrative of world peace just being the thing that everyone kind of carried with them <laughs> but and then you know what happened to that it's oh. gone it wasn't in the 2000s well maybe it was around in the 2000s but it's definitely fucking gone now in the start of the 20s you think in terms of i don't think people are against the idea of world peace but maybe it's just we just yeah well, i think we've we gotten way too cynical like maybe 9-11 and those wars that happened afterwards just like when come on cop the fuck on Let's yeah be maybe. realistic here people maybe that's then a really interesting point though yeah Anyway, it might be worth like doing those, um, you know, you can chart on Google, like people's search of, the oh, chart, yeah. of different terms and stuff. You know, a better, pre- a better prepared podcast probably would have these statistics, <laughs> but you know, you don't come here for that. Uh, you're here with us where we talk about, God, wouldn't it be great if someone had done this? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone empirical out there wants to do that for us, we greatly appreciate it. We may even yeah, give you wonderful. a like on, on Twitter if you tweet it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe. About 40,000 people work for the UN, which isn't that much. What? 40,000 feels like a lot. You think so? There's only, well, there's only two of us <laughs> in this podcast. So multiply that by 20,000. So 20,000 times the scope of this podcast okay, is when the you output put a, of the UN. Yeah, but about that many people work for Dublin City Council. 40,000? About that. Really? Give or take. Yeah, give or take, give or take 40,000. Give or take the, <laughs> so it's either zero the actual figure. Um, I didn't think it was that many because it's like supposed to be the highest form of human governance and organization that we have. I always thought right, it was yeah. more. But anyway, we, yeah. we'll, agree, we'll agree to disagree there, Richie, I suppose. <laughs> Starting off well. Uh, it has four <laughs> headquarters. It has the New York one, which is the real one. Right. It has Geneva, which is kind of like beta command. It has right. Vienna, which I'm not sure why they did that. It's only down the road from Geneva. And yeah. then it has Nairobi in Kenya. Right. And when I was I thinking about that, that yeah. It strikes me as kind of tokenistic. To ca- to have a, a base in, in the developing world. In the de- yeah, it's kind of like, oh, well, let's do that. But then, like, they don't have any of the big meetings there. None of the big organizations are headquartered there. None of the big dudes work there. But I suppose it's still, sometimes having tokens are okay. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah. It is made up of originally six main arms or they call them organs which is nasty Oof. the general assembly which is the one that makes the big decisions every country shows up uh, once a year everyone gets one vote so like ireland has the same voting power as china 
Take that, China. We did it. There is the Secretariat. That's where them 40,000 people are working. They're kind of like the civil servants. And then right. they have a top dog, the Secretary General, who is usually the person you hear about whenever there's statements from the UN. It's usually that. Yeah. And it's currently Antonio Guterres, who is from Portugal. Cool. Then you have... How, the, how is that person decided? He's elected by the General Assembly. I think they serve okay. in 10 year terms. So like the last mm. one was Ban Ki-moon from South Korea. Before that, it was mm. Kofi Annan. Um, and then there's been like a list of different people down through the years, usually like neutrally country people. It's right. not going to be an American or a Chinese person or a Russian person. Right. Um, so like Ireland might have a chance in the future. Richie, could be you. Could be, probably not. <laughs> just looking at, just looking at me. Looking at this. Don't put your 40, money 40,000 Why have we have so many people? Sack them. Sack them all. Look, my podcast, I had a podcast before I had this gig. And uh, there's only two of us, and we did okay. Why is I'm bringing there, in Steve. We need a fifth headquarters in Kildare. Why is there not a fifth headquarters <laughs> in Kildare? Um, there is also the International Court of Justice, which is not to be confused with the International Criminal Court. So, whereas the Criminal Court is for trying individuals for war crimes. So, mm-hmm. like Richie, whenever you commit loads of atrocities as the Secretary General, you will be right. tried there. Whereas right. the Court of Justice is for countries suing each other. So, like... The examples I got were Liechtenstein, the teeny tiny little country somewhere in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, sued Guatemala. <laughs> I like you say, somewhere in Europe. No somewhere. one knows. We can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like it's so small. You like step over it before you realized you were in it. <laughs> um, they sued Guatemala to force to because Guatemala wouldn't recognize that one of their citizens was a citizen of Liechtenstein for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Italy sued Albania to get back Nazi gold that they said was robbed off them. Whoa. And for like at the moment, Ukraine is trying to sue Russia for all the dodgy stuff going on in East U- Ukraine in terms of the invasion and stuff. Mm. Um, there is another organ called the Security Council, which a lot of people hear about an awful lot. That because sounds more familiar, yes. They are the guys who meet to try and make big decisions on military conflicts. But as we will get into in the episode, it is not very effective because of how the world works. Right. Because there uh, are wars. Because <laughs> there are wars and yeah. the con- and it's really hard to get countries to do things because even though the UN is supposed to be a big international organization, there is no UN army per se. Right. There is a peacekeeping force that is made up of other countries' armies, but it is still decided on by the countries. Right. Okay. There is also the Economic and Social Council, which is a big, broad body that has 15 sub-organizations who you will recognize, like UNICEF, the kids one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who we talked about them before uh-huh. we got UNESCO which is my personal uh-huh. favorite they're like protecting heritage and history and stuff you got uh-huh. the IMF who they're all about money but then it also has things <laughs> sorry oh my god when you said IMF I was like impossible mission force from the mission impossible movies <laughs> that's where my brain went because <laughs> they're literally called Tom Cruise works for the IMF the impossible mission that. force what yeah. Ugh, he's a fucking accountant no wonder I hate him so much <laughs> She's <laughs> going through like yeah all these like wonderful organizations and then yes the impossible mission force okay, so when so the UN has impossible impossible missions impossible missions it must send in <laughs> and it's run by Tom. Sean Connery <laughs> it also has something like the Universal Postal Union oh yeah it's got and it's got a meteorological body it's got telecoms things so like they do a lot mm-hmm. it also mm-hmm. has one that was set up at the start but is now defunct called the Trusteeship Council. Um, that basically its job was to try and help countries become independent after colonialism so oh, okay 
when France, um, like the former colonies of Japan and the former colonies of France and the former colonies of Britain were starting to get independence, this council was kind of like a guiding body. Yeah. It was kind of successful. But I mean, that really... feels like a valuable service. Yeah, but there's all sorts of political connotations around that as well, you see, because it's it's so impossibly hard to be neutral in things like this. Yeah. Like there isn't an, a, an objective, easy way to do something like allowing a country to get independence, because usually you get people arguing over what form that should take. And then you mm-hmm. get other people living in what's been designated a country going, what are you talking about? I'm not from that country. We're part of this other thing that should have its own country. And then yeah. that's why you get things like civil wars and stuff. And then right. also you got the former colony colonists like, yeah, well, we're also going to keep like all the stuff run by mm. our companies and you're not getting any of the money. So there's this just, sounds, there's, Steve, this sounds tricky. This sounds difficult. This sounds almost impossible. Maybe <laughs> the IMF. Can fix well, the this. IMF did get involved an awful lot when these countries went broke, but it was right, okay. for different impossible missions. Not that one. <laughs> Tom Cruise, why do you always run up the building and into the meeting, Tom Cruise? You are an accountant. Please just use the elevator. You know, so you know the way the Mission the Mission Impossible movies are endlessly fascinating to me because you have like the first three that were the first one's pretty good. You're like, one of them pricks that watch the Fast and the Furious, ironically. And like no 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 okay no not ironically there is from Fast Five forward those are just very good superhero films where no one has powers. <laughs> it's they're all like, Batman, but that's basically it. They don't uh, their bodies and vehicles don't abide by the laws of physics, and they just superheroes doing heist movies, but no one has powers. Their powers are cars. So that is an enjoyable thing to watch, unironically on its own. But the thing about Mission Impossible is it kind of jumped the shark after three. And it just became like Tom Cruise, an exhibition of Tom Cruise trying to kill himself. Because, you know, he does, and from the fourth movie on, he tries to do something real life. Oh, he did this, the second one. He climbed up the rock face. Oh, yeah, he did. Okay, maybe, yeah, from the second one. He and didn't motor- do that for the third one. Did he not? But the fourth one, he, he ran up the side of the Burj Khalifa. He jumped, out of an, he jumped out of an airplane with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the third one. Okay, well, right. So Tom Cruise has <laughs> been trying to kill himself for a long time. Um, but like I've, when they were filming on top of the Burj Khalifa, he was in a helicopter and he made them go right up to the point, to the very, very tippy top, and then stood out from the helicopter onto the top and got them to take a picture of him on it. And then later on, they filmed him running up the side of it. Uh, for the new, uh, basically for the new one that they're filming now, they're going to shoot in space. They're going to go up and do like a zero gravity thing in space. I think they're working with Tesla, or not Tesla, with SpaceX. Um, so Tom Cruise might be the first actor to film and die in space. I just think it's fascinating how he keeps like in the, in the fifth one, I think he clung to the side of the outside of a plane while it was taken off. Mm-hmm. It's in the trailer. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So he, he has a death wish. Yeah, he does. Doesn't so he? these should just be the death wish movies. It should be. Anyway, sorry. I just, I just think Tom Cruise is a very fascinating man. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, what else is fascinating? The Security Council. Let's talk about that. <laughs> uh, sure. The Security Council. So why, why was it formed? You mentioned, you mentioned like post-war 1945, trying to make sure we don't fall yeah. back into another world war. The best way to describe the UN, how it was formed first, it's kind of like the We Won World War II Club. So it's <laughs> everyone like, got badges. Everyone got badges. They, Participation um, certificates. <laughs> They like there was this thing called the League of Nations. So so they had the World War One. Yeah. And it didn't go well. Lots of people died. 
And the mm. countries afterwards were like, look, it was the, 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 the we won World War One countries were like, and also the losers, because they, they got to say, what, how do we figure out some way to not have this happen again? How about we have like a big deliberative body where people can come in and argue with each other and maybe the countries can use that to stop territorial expansions and conquests and wars of whatever. Mm-hmm. And that idea was brought, was kind of formed and pushed through in the treaties of Versailles, the negotiations after World War I by the president of the US, Woodrow Wilson. But the mm. problem is, is that the rest of America hated the idea. They didn't want anything to do with it. They thought really? that America was going to get dragged in constantly to European wars and that they would just try and use it as an excuse to get involved in their biz over in the Americas. So the Senate refused to join. It was autumn, like the League of Nations started off without having the biggest, baddest boy in the room. So everyone yeah. else was like, well, what's the fucking point? And then, as you can see, it didn't really help stop Germany, Japan or the USSR from doing lots of nasty shit and starting mm-hmm. World War II. Mm-hmm. So, so what was different? Why, why was it different the second time around? I guess the best way to describe it is that the League of Nations was all about idealism. It was like, let's envision the perfect future that we want and just start acting as if it's true. Whereas right. world, the UN and World War II brought in a bit of realism to the equation. So they mm. structured the thing that was supposed to stop countries from getting involved in fights, the Security Council, with realism built into it, with real politics built into it. And they did that by giving the big boys, the five permanent members, vetoes. So... The United States, Russia, China, France and the UK have permanent seats on the Security Council. And if the rest of everyone else was to gather together and come up with something, each of those can veto it, can stop it. Right. So so that, you know, that's incentive to keep the big boys at the table. To keep them at the table. Exactly. So it's like, right. it's a recognition that fine, there will be often occasions where the big boys will be like, no, you can't do that because that steps on my big boy interests. But mm. I will let you go ahead and do that other little thing that I don't really care about. Right. So they're like, right, well, rather than have nothing, let's at least yeah. have this. Right. You're right. That is a very pragmatic approach. There's actually a funny story as to how they came up with the five members. So when I say China, I actually mean the Republic of China. And if we go back to the China episode, that's Taiwan. <laughs> so the um, up until the 70s, the, the, the people sitting at the table were Taiwan, who were like calling themselves China, but as we know through history, how it played out, it was actually the People's Republic of China across the water that were the big China, the real China. So mm-hmm. they, in the 70s, America did a deal with them and, agree, and the USSR and the others agreed and they let China become China mm. <laughs> and the People's and the Republic of China wasn't allowed to become Taiwan. <laughs> so it's Ooh, out. Right. <laughs> Taiwan is not in the UN. It's really? Not a, it's not a recognized country. Because China's like, that's not a country, that's that's a breakaway area. And it would take China to redefine that before it could... uh, Which they will never do. That's not going to (laughs) happen. They will never do that. They will never give Listen to our What I'm China episode if you want to get more on that. Exactly. And then also, but less dramatically, the USSR became Russia, which was... Yeah. People were okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, The inclusion of France is kind of funny because the USSR wasn't happy with the way it was with only four um, China. They thought they thought the UK and China would team up with the US against them all the time. So like, we need a fifth. So the US Mm -hmm. were like, okay, what about Brazil? And USSR were like, no, you're buds with Brazil. And then Brazil was also like, I don't even want to be in it. (laughs) (laughs) So then USSR was like, what about France? Mm. And the UK were kind of worried that them being the only European and colonial, massive colonial power, they'd be like, they'd have to do everything. And they're like, we're tired of doing everything. We just fought World War 
two for Europe. How about, mm. yes, so we're happy with France coming in. And then the USSR were like, mm, no, I'm not sure they're Western. But then France immediately started going, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, we're, we're going to give the finger to the US all the time. We hate those guys. So <laughs> they come on board. And France also loves getting involved in international problems. They love sending oh, soldiers really? abroad. Yeah, yeah that's, okay. that's part of their big thing. So the, the Security Council was formed with those permanent members, but it also is designed to have rotating temporary members. There are fif- How many? 15. 15. They are elected by the General Assembly for periods of two years and it is formatted so that like it's dispersed across the regions. Each region will have a certain quota each each year. Oh, so you don't get a cluster of exactly. representation so you don't, like, in one part of the globe. For two years, Africa get together and combine forces to conquer Antarctica <laughs> or something like that. that so that can't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of how effective it is and what it's done, I mean, it's been around since the start of the UN and there have been a lot of wars and conflicts since then. Um, there's the they got involved in Korea that the Korean War the the invasion of the North and then pushing it back that was essentially a a UN mission that escalated and mm-hmm. um, then they've gotten involved in place in Africa they've gotten involved in in Israel many times but most people remember the times that they don't get involved so they fecked up in Somalia they have messed up in the Congo for decades they didn't get involved in the worst conflicts in the the Yugoslav wars, like in Bosnia, mm. Serbia, and those kind of things. Um, well, and so, like, what what's the distinction between like what's their motivations for when they do get involved and when they don't get involved? What's the difference there? Usually, it's because one country will veto it. So, China at the moment, like for example, in Syria, um, mm. that's been a conflict we've all witnessed happen over the last um, geez, ten years now, I guess, nearly ten years. Um, but China and Russia, Russia because strategically they're on a sad side. So they're like, no, we, we don't want our guy to lose. China mm-hmm. just have a default thing of you can't get involved in internal conflicts in a country. That's not what this UN was supposed to be built for. This UN was meant to be built to stop countries like Nazi Germany invading Poland. It wasn't right. meant to be, to be, it wasn't meant to start to stop a, a, a genocide in Rwanda because that's, that's internal country's business. Otherwise, right. you're just going to have countries going willy nilly, going around the world, re- you know, using the f- the force of the UN to change it in what they want. Like, for example, the UN isn't even necessarily meant to be a democratic body, because some right. of the founding countries weren't democracies. Right. They were. So de- they're they're afraid of establishing like a dangerous precedent. Exactly. To, so they're okay. like, no, you. It's like like for example, if there was a precedent for people to get involved in genocides or human rights abuses, well, we'd have to get involved in China with what they're doing with the the Uyghurs. Yeah. So that's why. So they don't want that. Yeah. They don't want that. They block it and it it can't happen. There have been a lot of successes and there are peacekeeping forces around Israel, stopping different conflicts from sparking off there. They Mm -hmm. have done work in different parts of Africa and they've helped in Somalia. They helped in South Sudan, but usually it's too late. And also it's difficult to, to prove that they're that effective when they even get there. But there also hasn't been a World War Three. Right, but okay. So how, like, what? Why haven't we had a World War Three? Like, what strategies do they implement to stop that from happening? The closest we came was, I guess, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, where the U.S. and the USSR and America went to blows over Cuba and nuclear weapons being put there by by the Russians. Mm-hmm. But then the X-Men stopped that. Then the X-Men stopped X-Men, it. X-Men first class. The first iteration of the and, IMF. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> I, 
I don't I don't know if you can even say it was the UN that had anything to do with that because like it wasn't it was bilateral negotiations between the two countries but just the fact that they have this table to come and talk to makes a big mm. difference it, and it did make a big difference but ultimately the reason there wasn't a World War 3 is because of nuclear weapons it would have the deterrence the mutually shared destruction exactly yeah so it, the UN can't fully claim credit for that but at least it can go yeah but we also maybe can yeah to like I mean it is important to be able to facilitate a conversation yeah and to offer those channels yeah and that so, has but, been there the whole time and th- does the UN have involvement in 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 nuclear arms they and do like how they're managed or categorized or they do and one thing that could be seen as a success is that they actually helped um, they might have they might be the reason there wasn't a massive proliferation of nuclear weapons in the second half of the 20th century so whenever nuclear weapons were first invented all the the British countries scrambled to get them together but Mm. then around the 70s and 80s there was another resurgence of countries smaller medium let's say medium countries starting to grab them because like if you have a nuke you have ultimate Mm. power you you're essentially so everyone else takes a huge risk in trying to threaten you or even the possibility of invading you is almost taken off the table. So mm. South Africa started a nuclear weapons program. Brazil started a nuclear weapons program. India and Pakistan started and succeeded with their nuclear weapons programs. Indonesia were jumping in there. South Korea. I mean, mm-hmm. all the other, all these countries started like building up massive nuclear weapons programs and the UN seen that as a, as a big potential problem and started pushing a campaign of non-proliferation, which is basically... No, 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 yeah. no more nukes. You don't need this. Yeah. No more nuke the whales. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so they jumped in with this big treaty that was negotiated within the UN structures and everyone signed it pretty much. Apart from the countries and- that really wanted them, like India and Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, do you think that's a, that's a contributing factor to, to not having another world war like the 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 slowing down of the proliferation no but that is a factor as to why there haven't been any nuclear wars right like there could have been like if if south africa started throwing nukes at the congo or or other do you think the second a country starts doing that though we'd start veering into world war territory it's a really because it's such a strong move there's a really strong possibility yeah. Like, I mean, the, the closest we're going to come is between India and Pakistan. The fact that they haven't thrown nukes at each other is amazing, to be honest. They're always right. coming to blows over different parts. Like, they, they don't agree on a massive region being you know, the Kashmir, like, in terms of both of them lay claim to it. They're always fighting over it. So the fact that they don't mm. throw nukes at each other is massive. But if Pakistan threw nukes at, at India or vice versa, does that mean that Russia and China and America are going to start throwing nukes at each other? I mean, I don't know. Probably not. But who yeah. knows? The fact but, that they, the fact that you start throwing them, <laughs> means that like I know it's just it's such a big thing. You just you just imagine it would have a, a horrific cascading effect, and World War feels like the end point of that. But anyway, I'm speaking from complete ignorance, as is but that's the timeline thing. for this podcast. The, the thing that would stop them from doing it is that whenever that World War starts, it's going to end really quickly. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's going to be hard to define who the winner is. Yeah, because we'll all be dead. Is what I'm Let's saying. talk about the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Woo, that you good part. The yeah. So when we're talking about all this war stuff, um, the We Won World War II Club coming together, forming this, this what was like essentially a military alliance to try and keep world peace going. Mm-hmm. While that was going on, this fantastic lady called Eleanor Roosevelt, oh, who yeah. is the niece of Teddy Roosevelt, and she was the wife of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 
Her husband died before the UN came to fruition. He didn't make it um, to see it. But America appointed her as their delegate to the UN in its founding years. And she took it on herself to say, okay, we can do all that, but let's also push for general betterment of humanity. There hasn't been an organization like this before in her eyes mm-hmm. that could do this, that could consolidate all the efforts of all the best of all the best impulses in, in humanity to put them together to try and make the world a better place for everybody. Mm-hmm. And not only that, she said, but let's write down what we mean by betterment in terms of and like what people should be entitled to just by the very fact that they are existing living humans. Yeah. They shouldn't in terms of not being discriminated against and having a right to housing, to water, to 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 basically live happy lives. That should be a universal right for all humans. And so they wrote yeah. down this charter and I think absolutely amazingly they managed to pass it in 1947 and it was adopted by all the members all the members of the United Nations. Incredible. Incredible. It is huge. It's it's it is such a, it's a good important it's an important point to make and it speaks to her her um foresight I guess and her like imagination that it's one thing to establish an institution like this to stop something from happening or to prevent something from happening or to maintain a status quo but to then also have an aspirational wing to it to have something to strive for yeah as much as strive against you know and I think striving for something is a much more motivating human factor than you know trying to prevent something and so it, good honor. It wasn't even just like aspirational and preventative. I mean, it essentially led to the creation of all those sub organizations we were talking about, like the mm. like UNICEF or I mean, one of the great successes of the UN has been a lot of people have been lifted out of poverty because of the programs that they've been instigating across the world. Yeah. Thanks to people like the IMF, <laughs> yeah. the World Food Organization, UNICEF, all those things. Like people have been given education. They've been given like better agricultural practices. Like people have been, and like they've been better water hygiene. Mm-hmm. The stuff mm-hmm. that you need to live have been provided yeah. for by UN organiza- by UN programs on the founding that this was not just going to be a let's not blow each other up club. This was going to be yeah. a let's, let's make be the better. world, let's be better club. Mm. Um. I think they've made massive right they've made massive progress in terms of women's rights throughout the world. So humanity seems to default towards being patriarchal and shit to women. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's happened all across the world in all the different iterations of societies. Mm-hmm. The UN is is trying to change that by pushing in little places here and there to try and make the world a better place for um women and it has succeeded in many cases and there there are a lot more women with educations with with more social rights than they would have had if it wasn't for the different UN programs on the back of this, on the back of this Declaration of Human Rights. So yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to, to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights so you can read through it. And there'll also be links to all of the sub-organizations that we've been chatting about earlier so you can just see all that like betterment and how, and how it's being represented. And because countries are really stingy and don't like giving up that much money, which we'll get into soon... They're all looking for money. So if you want to donate to some charities, they yeah. are good ones. Well, that, that's a good jumping off point. Like, how, like the UN, 40,000 people, all of these incredible initiatives operating on a global scale. That sounds expensive as, as fuck. How much does it cost and who's paying for it? That's a hard thing to actually quantify because of how broken up the UN is in terms of its organiza- organizations. And I wasn't able to get like one figure for all bodies under the UN. Mm-hmm. So like I was able to find out that the secretariat, which is the civil servant body that but those 40,000 people work for, that mm-hmm. costs 3.1 billion in 2020, mm, right. which doesn't seem that much. No, no. 
I mean, it's a lot of money, but like for, for again, what's... <laughs> that, and then in terms of who pays for that, the EU, there is actually a stipulation that there's a, there's a limit to the percentage of that that can come from one country. Right. Because they were afraid that the United States would come in and go, we're going to pay for everything. So oh, just you throw their money say. bags around. Exactly. Yeah. So they actually capped it before at 25%, but that's been reduced to 22%. So the US pays for one fifth of all UN spending. Wow. And then coming in after that is China with about half of that. So they pay for about 10%. And then right. everybody else chips in. Every other country has to pay. It's mm-hmm. determined on how wealthy your country is. And the lowest is 30 grand from one of the countries. That's what they pay. Really? Pay. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, it all it all, it all, all adds up. It all adds up. This does not include the peacekeeping missions I was talking about. So there are about 100,000 active peacekeeping units in terms of military and police across the world. That costs mm-hmm. about 8 billion a year. Wow. And then again, that kind of gets broken up in terms of different countries paying what. There isn't the same limit as to what a country can pay. So the US pays for about 35%, China right. next, so on, going all the way down. Um, and then all the other sub-organizations, they kind of have their own different funding ways. Like the IMF gets funding from its members, mostly the US. Mm-hmm. Um, who has voluntary funding from members. That's been in the news. It's been in the news. <laughs> the funding structures of that. Because the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was like the biggest contributor to that and they're not a country. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're, you know Individuals I mean? can give in to that. So I think they give yeah. a billion. So they would have given 25% of the entire funding for that organization. Wow. Um, wow. But to put this all in perspective, like how does this compare to what countries spend on their military? Oh, right. Yeah. It's, 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 it feels like, especially compared to America, it feels like pittance. America spends 721 billion per year on its military, which is, that's not including their wars. <laughs> oh my God. Like the Afghan and Iraqi or an, an Iraq wars probably cost about a trillion each. Um, mm. The UK, which, you know, used to be a big swing and dick around the world, but still has a relatively large army, spends mm-hmm. 53 billion on its army every year on its military wow. in general. So yeah. like it doesn't compare. No, which is really more a morbid thought about this like big institution meant for like the betterment, the preservation and betterment of, of people yeah. across the world. And then. It, but it, it is also, know. it is also worth pointing out that when they, when they were organizing the UN, they didn't necessarily envision, envision a UN army. They thought mm. that the members would be the ones who would send their armies. Yeah. So I guess like the bones of the organization weren't built to have that kind of thing. That like the yeah. active peacekeeping force that's built up since then is just because they have so many active missions across the world. It would take mm-hmm. a big in- initiative of reform to change it up and to have like a, an actual standing army. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of a, of a UN world army is, is an odd one. Scary. In I mean, I'm reading The Expanse now and yeah. that's, that's what happened in The Expanse. The, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Earth seems kind of shit in the expanse. Sure. I mean, they all seem kind of shit in the expanse. <laughs> it's a sci-fi book. It's, it's not representative. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not one of our sources. We swear. Kind of yeah. was. Kind of was. <laughs> uh, who who runs it? Like you've mentioned, like you've there's been lots. You've dropped lots of caveats throughout this about different contingencies, so that. You know, no one country seems to influence it too much, be it like in how it's, it's you know, funded or how different people are represented on the Security Council or sorry, how different countries are represented on the yeah. Security Council. And it all seems to be quite fair at spreading out responsibility. But like, who runs it though? The Secretariat, like those civil servants run by the General Secretary, they are the ones who actually run it in terms of like running it day to day. But the people who make yeah. the final decisions are the General Assembly. 
the the assembly of countries that gather every year in New York to do votes. They actually did a virtual one recently because of mm-hmm. COVID. And mm. it's actually funny. It's like as a piece of political theatre, I got some really interesting <laughs> anecdotes from this one. The heads of the governments are allowed to show up at the General Assembly and make speeches. So you've had all sorts of mad stuff, including an Indian delegate who was talking, who was trying to filibuster something that he didn't like for his country, that he talked for so long, he actually had to go to hospital, <laughs> but then wanted to come back and make his speech and had like a doctor there, like taking his blood pressure as it was going on. Wow. He had Khrushchev, who was the second head of the USSR. Um, <laughs> the, the head of the Philippines was given some sort of anti-USSR speech and he was like, I will not listen to this and took off his shoe and started whacking it on the table in the middle of the assembly. <laughs> um, have you seen the movie Bridge of Spies? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, like one of the formats is that at the start of that movie, the the, the spy plane, the US spy plane, the U-2, boo, um, that got shot out of the sky. And after the year after that, Russia were like, okay, well, the USSR were like, well, we're going to make the General Assembly give out to the USSA, the USA for... Um, for spying, which is just not cool. And then the US decided to stand up with this big carved um, eagle that they were given by Russia as a present. And they were like, oh yeah, Russia? Well, what's this? And took out tweezers and then took out a microphone out of the the eagle's (gasps) mouth. And we're like, are we the only ones spying here, USSR? (laughs) And then the funniest one I came across, and not really funniest because he's an awful shit who... Uh, Gaddafi showed up for the first time in 2009. He ranted for about 100 minutes for all sorts of things, including the US inventing swine flu, the Kennedy assassination being a, being a, you know, a conspiracy called the, the Security Council Al-Qaeda. And all the photos from this, like the, the people who run the UN sit on a, like a plinth above the speaker. They're all just mm-hmm. like... <laughs> <laughs> just like with their heads in their hands just like shaking their heads just like oh my god this nut job he, I'll put that in the show notes as well he showed up to, to New York for this assembly with um, what he called a traditional Bedouin tent like they're supposed to be small little tents that you set up in the desert when you're when you're nomading around he showed up at one that was about 400 square feet um, he couldn't get planning permission to put it anywhere in, Amer- in, in New York or New Jersey until eventually Donald Trump let him set it up in his backyard in 2009. So fuck you, Trump. (laughs) Fuck you, Trump, at every period in time, every point in time, fuck you. This is also where Donald Trump, when he was president, turned up to call his now best friend, um, Kim Jong-un, little rocket man. So (laughs) in terms of like things happening in the general world political theatre, like the General Assembly can be a good bit for that. But it is also, going back to your question in terms of who runs it, that is where they make mm. the decisions. Like if right. they want to decide to set up a new international organization about how to regulate, I don't know, like what's the big thing that needs to be regulated these days, Richie? Um, uh, the Pokemon playing card market has yep. become saturated with counterfeits. I don't know if you're aware of that, particularly no. the shiny ones. Um, and it's, it's really skewing the economy of, um, the, like us, us card traders, uh, because, you know, suddenly my new shiny Charizard, which would have been worth like Jesus, Steve, like 72 quid, um, <laughs> you say is, now about, so is, is now like 68. So, That's and it's only, it's only getting worse. Like could early be projections, could be conservative 50. projections. Yeah. It's that it's 67.50. 66 maybe jesus um by this time three years so yeah it's it's out of control steve so if you wanted to set up the ipcc Mm -hmm. um the international pokemon card committee 
mm-hmm. would have to go to the General Assembly and get a majority of members to agree to that. Okay, that is good to know. That is good to know. And then is, I'll be working obviously on that the budget of the secret the budget of three point one billion would have to double. Yeah, well, Steve, come on. <laughs> come on. We've got to stop this. Um speaking of, just say I did want to go work at the UN. Yeah. How do how do I do that? Because I don't see job applications on LinkedIn. They there are. Are there? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Okay, I'm not looking. <laughs> well, like to become one of them forty thousand civil servants that work for the thing, they hire them like anyone else. Except mm. as someone who came out of college wanting to work in something like this, it is quite difficult. They usually want you to have done an internship beforehand. Um, mm. you know, because to start at a graduate job you need to already have loads of experience as all these things work. Um, sure. U- EU, UN internships are unpaid and you need to live in New York or Geneva or Nairobi, I suppose. <laughs> right. But to do that for free, you need to be yeah, a rich that's, person. That's, yeah. Or a super... That seems fundamentally flawed. It is quite flawed. So Pay your fuck. Pay people who work for you for fuck's sake. Sorry. So it is quite often that the people who go and work for the UN are the kind of elite of the country. Mm. They would be kind of... Mm the same kind of people that would want would be going into work in Department of Foreign Affairs and stuff like that. Not to say that like everyone that works in these kind of jobs are necessarily from the elite, but it certainly helps if you have gone to Oxford or Yale yeah. or whatever. And you could be payroll Trinity. to work. <laughs> you could be payroll to work free for a year to get your I think it's like door. five years. Yeah. <laughs> <Fucking> <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. Anyway, it is hard. It is difficult, yeah. but it is possible. Essentially, anybody who's qualified can go and work for the UN. They don't um, They don't really care about what country you're from. Although mm-hmm. I guess if you're probably from one of the non-member countries, you will be able to go. But anyway, you have to... Have- I don't care who you are, <laughs> where you're from, what you did, as long as you're the political elite, baby. <laughs> Um, sorry, <laughs> got distracted by Backstreet Boys. Um, you mentioned Taiwan not being in the UN. Mm. Uh, is there anyone else who isn't in the UN? Who's like left outside? Yes, Palestine is the big one. Oh, really? Palestine's not an officially recognized oh, nation. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Vatican, they have observer status. So even though the Vatican essentially is, in effect, a real country, mm. even though it's really weird. Yeah. Um, they, There's a lot of weird shit about the Vatican. They don't get to vote, but they can make speeches at the General Assembly. Um, right. There's also places like Kosovo. Kosovo isn't allowed membership because Russia won't recognize it. Right. Um, and there's probably a couple of other little breakaway countries around the world that, for some reason, one one of the one of the five vetoing countries won't allow them in. Okay. What Amtopia hasn't been recognized yet either. Look. At the same time that we'll get the Pokemon card thing sorted first and then we'll, well surely one we need, thing at a time, we need priorities. membership to get that in. The Pokemon card thing affects the whole fucking world, Steve. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. I guess I'm pro- like a pretty big question. Like a lot of these big, huge institutes that operate on such a massive scale. How much does it matter for your average person on the street? How does it matter? Yeah. What, what has it done for me lately? You stopped World War Three, but what have you done for me lately? <laughs> Not to sound uh, ungrateful or anything, but <laughs> but I'm ungrateful and I want to know. <laughs> but, yeah. No, like I think I think I think it's a great institution, and looking at all the different subgroups of it, like there's clearly a lot of wonderful stuff happening. But I'm sure it does get a lot of criticisms, like any big institution. Yeah, well, I mean, and if you were if if you were if you were talking to someone that had more Marxist inclinations, they would they would say, well, this just keeps in place the world order as as the as the rich people and 
and the rulers want it. So like, mm. it's just another part of the establishment. If you were talking to an insane person, they would say it's part of the lizard people trying to take over the world. And Granted, I mean, yeah, that's... Yeah, so, well, I mean, well. if the UN didn't exist, I don't think it would make that big a difference in terms of the world. Really? Yeah, I don't think so. I think... What about all this stuff like with UNICEF? And well, that's the thing. The... They they are kind of like separate organizations. So even if the U... Oh, I burped. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving it in. Damn it. Even if the UN, like as a general secretariat, didn't exist, I think all those other organ- organ- other organizations would continue. So like it would, instead of being the United Nations chil- Children's Organization, it would be the World Children's Organization or the equivalent. Like... Mm. Those ones, the con- enough countries will recognize they're doing enough good work that they would let it keep going. But like if the Security Council was to be declared officially redundant, I don't think it would make much of a difference in the actual world. And that said, like Ireland really punches above its weight in terms of peacekeeping missions. We haven't brought mm. that up, but like Irish soldiers serve on active duty in loads of places. They've been involved yeah. in some crazy stuff. There's actually a, a movie on Netflix about um, a conflict that was going on in the Congo that Irish soldiers got stuck in the middle of. Uh, oh, what's it called? The Siege of Jadotville. And it has your man, the Northern Irish actor who was in uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, yeah. Um, Jamie Doran. Jamie Doran. Yeah, he's he plays yeah. the Irish captain in that movie. And he like whips really? all the fellas. It's it's really hot. Um, <laughs> the Irish the Irish have been really like we we like to call ourselves a neutral country. That's up for debate. But we do tend to send our soldiers into places to try and keep peace. Like we were involved in missions in the former Yugoslavia. We are uh, we we currently send soldiers to Lebanon. I actually work mm-hmm. with a guy who uh, got shot in the leg when he was in Lebanon. Oh wow! And like had to be like taken to an emergency hospital in Germany to save his life and still walks with a limp poor fella oh god um, so like we are still in there in the thick of it trying to mm. trying to help spread peace so but I mean there's been so many other failures of the peacekeeping missions that it probably would just like it wouldn't make much of a difference for the average person on the street mm. I guess you would probably disagree with me if the peacekeepers left and then you were living in a house that was suddenly in the middle of a war zone. But right, there's yeah. all, I mean, there's all sorts of other war zones that are going on that don't have that benefit. So, I mean, you know, it's still, it just, that those wars will still happen. People will still be shit. They will still have conflicts. And I think that the other organizations will keep on going. But that said, as an organization with aspirations for general betterment of humanity, it's worthwhile keeping it in place absolutely paying whatever fraction of your national budget goes towards it donating to the different charities that have to do with it to to just have it there as a yeah. as a, as an aspiration for countries like i mean there are there is no police for countries you you can't international law is made up on countries following it or not quite often mm-hmm. a country will decide to go fuck you and invade iraq <laughs> because <laughs> what who's going to stop them they're a country like there isn't a police yeah. that can go around and arrest america <laughs> yeah because they are the big, big swinging army. Um, yeah. Like China can do whatever it wants in most places in the world too. But as, as an institution that's there, as like a big parliament that everyone comes together every year to have these discussions, to have these talks, it's better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of institutions with this kind of um, mandate, with this kind of aspirations, as you say. Yeah. You know, it might not be perfect, but it's there and it can facilitate you know, peaceful exchanges of, you know, global discourse or whatever. Just again, looking at that, I'll include the link in the show notes, but looking at all these different specialized agencies of the UN, 
There's a lot of great work here. Probably the best part of the UN. I see. Sound in these yeah. different sub-agencies for sure. So peruse them. If you see one that you particularly like, maybe you can donate to them. But yeah, it, it is. I think it's good. So we're not going to get rid the of it. End. No, we're not going to. You and I aren't going to get rid of it. At least not until we sort out this Pokemon character. And sure, maybe in 25 yeah. years, we'll come back and do what I'm the UN at 100. Yeah. And, and Richie at 55. <laughs> <laughs> Which is more momentous, time will tell. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it'll be a group birthday. Time thing. makes fools of us all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that it? That's it. I think that's it. Uh, at what on politics on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, what on politics at gmail.com if you want to shoot us a nice message. We got a bunch of lovely messages after our uh, we did. last episode. So thank, thank, you. thank you to everyone. Thank who, you all who, for the messages. Who who let us know that, um, you know, they've been having a rough time with mental health and we, we hope everyone's doing okay out there and doing well out there. Make sure to look after yourselves. Do you know what'll cheer them up, Richie? What's that? If they buy a t-shirt. <laughs> Christ. Let's capitalize on people's anxiety and angst. Yeah, buying a t-shirt. Fear of the unknown. Cure Look, all soft that, cotton. Cure all that ails you. Soft. Are you yeah. joking? This is like a fucking bag of potatoes. It's awful. That's not true. It's lovely, high quality, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful product. You should go out and buy it. Yeah, it's in the link in the show notes. Um, or if you don't want to do that, you can just buy us a beer over at whatonpolitics.com forward slash beer. And if you don't want to do and that, it, tell someone about the show. Yeah, that's it. You don't have to do any of this stuff. You don't have to do anything. But it would be nice if you recommended us to a friend. I think the, the mental health episode with Brezzy is a good jumping in point, especially if your friend isn't super political. Maybe you just want to hear something about mental health issues and, and that kind of thing. Or UFOs. That's a good jumping in point. Or UFOs. That's a great jumping off point. Look, they're all, well, no, some are better than others. But, uh, <laughs> Don't listen to what I'm told you. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. <sighs> goodbye, Steve. And goodbye, my 20s. So long. I was just thinking back there while you were talking. Um, not that I was distracted and not listening or anything. I was paying <laughs> a lot of attention. But it's just like, is there like a like a defining memory from my twenties that I could like work into the outro and it'd be all poignant and stuff? And the only thing I could think about <laughs> was the time I put a little bow tie on my old roommate's cat. I didn't even know about that. So defined. <laughs> it's a little tartan bow tie. <laughs> and I put it on uh, Moby. My old roommate's cat in San Francisco and he looked like such a gentleman. Wow. And that's the only... Oh, and I saw a blimp. (laughs) 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 On Richie's gravestone. (laughs) Made a cat dapper. Saw a blimp. Not bad. (laughs) You know what? I'm feeling good about turning 30. Who knows what Who mysteries await? What crests will you reach? Oh, who knows? Put a tie on a dog. <laughs> See the hot air balloon. <laughs> Whoa. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.